Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of For Real is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new nonfiction books to read, but overwhelmed by all of the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and your dislikes and what you're looking for. Then sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Thursday, July 16th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I am ready for vacation. How are you, Kim? <laughs> I am sleepy. I had very bad insomnia last night, so I'm... Just, just tired today. But you vacation. Tell me, tell me about your vacation. Oh, by vacation I mean I'm off work tomorrow. Tomorrow Yay! being Friday. I know. I'm so excited. I will say though. Okay, so you're very tired. So not but the talk of books will uh, raise your spirits, right? <laughs> Talking with you will raise my spirits, and we'll also talk about books. Oh no, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have one uh, tiny piece of follow-up from our last episode. I uh, talked about reading uh, Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker, which is a book about a family of 12 children, uh, six of them who were eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia. And I was, uh, I think, like midway through uh, when we talked about it last time. Um, I took a bunch of books on my vacation uh, over 4th of July. I usually go up to my parents' uh, house. They live on a lake. And I always take a ton of books with me. And usually I get through like two or three. All I did was read Hidden Valley Road and I finished it. And it was great. It was such, such a good read. I really admire the way that the author was able to humanize all of the different members of the family. He just did a really nice job of giving them all a voice and really helping you understand how they fit into their family and kind of what some of their struggles were. And he also did a really nice job of connecting that family's experiences with kind of the history of schizophrenia and and research around mental illness. And I thought that was uh, super interesting. And he like it's so kind of I, I just felt it was really remarkable. Like with a family of twelve children plus their parents, I left the book feeling like I sort of knew a little bit about all of them, and I really understood where they were coming from in this whole family um, situation. So I I admired it a great deal, and I really enjoyed reading it. So Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker, I definitely recommend it if uh, you're looking for a great nonfiction read. It was excellent. That's quite a feat. Yeah. I wonder has he written other stuff? I want to look him up now. 
Yes, he did a true crime book a few years ago called Lost Girls. And I don't remember what it was about. But yeah, it was really good because like one thing he would do is at the beginning of each chapter about the family, he would put a list of all of the members of the family who are still alive. And then he would bold the members of the family who are sort of the central people of that chapter. And it really helped to like keep everyone in order because you could tell like, you know, the age of the family and the age of the brothers, you knew kind of who was the oldest and youngest or whatever. And it just really was a good way to keep you situated, I felt. So like technically, I was such a like really remarkable kind of feat. And then storytelling wise, I just thought it was really impactful. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And his his other book is Lost Girls and Unsolved American Mystery, which is about the uh, uncaught serial killer on Long Island. Oh, man, now I gotta go get that one. <sighs> Sounds so good. <laughs> I mean, you can then let us know how it is or if it's really scary. It's probably scary. It sounds scary. <laughs> it does. And with that, here's our first sponsor. So we are sponsored this episode by Chasing the Light by Oliver Stone from uh, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. So this is an intimate memoir by the controversial, outspoken, Oscar-winning director and screenwriter Oliver Stone. He talks about his complicated New York childhood, volunteering for combat, which makes sense because of the theme of the movies that he did later. Uh, and his struggles and triumphs making uh, films like Platoon, Midnight Express, and Scarface. So uh, if you were going to college anytime from, I'd say, 1980 onward, you're probably familiar with some of these movie posters. Before the international success of Platoon in 1986, Oliver Stone had been wounded as an infantryman in Vietnam and spent years writing unproduced scripts while driving taxis in New York. So he finally went to Los Angeles. He's now 73 years old, which I think is a good time to write your memoir, right? Because you're like still pretty sharp at 73. I think that's mm -hmm. like kind of young at this point in our nation. So he like is just going back through and like talking about meeting with Al Pacino for the scripts for Scarface and Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July and how he uh, was dealing with uh, his cocaine addiction. And this movie, The Hand, that like he was working on that, which has Michael Caine in it, if you like him, uh, while he was dealing with like his addiction at the same time. So it's like basically him talking about his history with these very uh, famous movies and what was going on sort of behind the scenes. So if you love movies and a more 3D version of, well, they're already kind of 3D, right? Are we talking 4D? Or does that involve time? Kim, what do you think? <laughs> I have no idea. No idea. Anyway, check out this book, Chasing the Light by Oliver Stone, and thank you for sponsoring. Excellent. Good sponsor. All right. So for this week's nonfiction in the news uh, section, uh, we just have one piece of interesting nonfiction news, I think. And that is that Phoebe Robinson, who is an author and the co-creator of the podcast Two Dope Queens, is going to get her own uh, book imprint called Tiny Reparations Books. And so um, according to the article we'll link to from The Hollywood Reporter, um, Tiny Reparations Books will be a curated imprint dedicated to publishing both literary fiction and nonfiction, as well as essay collections that highlight and amplify unique and diverse voices. Uh, the imprint will also publish honest and comical work that reflects the current conversation and tackles ways to push it forward. And I just think this is really good news, um, you know, with everything that's happening around racism and Black Lives Matter. It's been 
Interesting to see the, the conversation around lack of diversity in publishing kind of come back around again. I feel like this is something that comes up pretty regularly, but there's just not a lot of people of color in who work in publishing. Uh, they, they're not editors. Uh, they're not high up in imprints. And so I think it's a good step to give someone like Phoebe Robinson an imprint to really kind of try to amplify some of those voices. So I think this is exciting news. Oh, and then the article also notes that um, her publisher, who's supporting the imprint, has also brought world rights to her next book, Six feet apart which is set to publish in fall of 2021 <gasps> yeah i know right that's very exciting that is exciting i did not know that she had a new book coming her previous books are uh you can't touch my hair and uh, everything's trash but it's okay which i actually have not read either <laughs> of those have you um yeah i've talked about really briefly i think everything's trash but it's okay on the podcast that's an amazing title i know i bought it when all this started I was like, wow, this speaks to me. So the fact that she is writing specifically about this time right now, oh, so excited. That's going to be great. Yeah, I think that's going to be really good. Yeah, I got to get everything's trash, but it's okay, because like that's so just accurate, right? Mm -hmm. Speaking Uh, to the times. Indeed. So Phoebe Robinson has a book coming out in fall of 2021 and also is going to have her own imprint where she's going to have some other really cool writers. So that is going to be exciting. And we'll link to the Hollywood Reporter article with some additional information if you are curious. All right. uh, And so with that, we will jump into this week's new books, which are books coming out recently this week within the last few weeks, month-ish, that we are excited about. So uh, Alice, you are up first. Yeah. So I'm weirdly excited about this book, weirdly because I can't quite explain it. I think a lot has to do with the cover, which is not a big surprise. My first pick for this week is Disposable City, Miami's Future on the Shores of Climate Catastrophe by Mario Alejandro Ariza. This is like, okay, so Ariza, what, well, first, let me talk about the cover. I'm just going to backtrack. This <laughs> cover is awesome. It has like basically the Miami shoreline. It's got this like, think of the early 90s and that color palette. And it's got that like blue and pink that you think of when you think of like Miami Vice and Don mm-hmm. Johnson's blazers and t-shirts. Like it so speaks to like what people think of when they think of Miami, even though that idea is very outdated at this point. But so Mario Alejandro Ariza, he grew up in Santo Domingo and Miami. And he, in this book, I like super respect the work he's done because he interviewed more than 150 sources, which uh, he talks to city officials, geophysicists, climate scientists, residents, and is just basically looking at like what is happening with climate change in Miami right now, because they are saying that in like by the end of the century, Miami is supposed to be like, like not a city anymore, like it's going to be flooded. So we talk about what Miami will look like 100 years from now, and also how that future has been shaped by the city's racist past and present. So one of the things that he talks about is how, gosh, it's, I don't know, it's so interesting because it also talks to you about like real estate developers because real estate in Miami is still really expensive despite this like dire prediction about his future. And I was like, how is that possible? How are condo developers still building these buildings? And he said that basically they hold on to the buildings for like, a couple years and then they like turn them over so they don't really care about what yeah i know it was really like all this stuff where i was just like oh my gosh it's so predatory and just about how the you know obviously like minimum wage doesn't pay for housing and a ton of the workers in miami who are like not you've got this sort of like huge divide between rich and poor that's like starker than in a lot of other areas and people who were living like more inland um where it was cheaper now we're getting pushed out through gentrification because people are like oh the shoreline's like getting flooded so we have to move further inland 
which I think in some respect is happening in a lot of cities. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Chicago, like areas that used to be like not whatever. People are now like, oh, well, that's close to this train line. So I want to live there. I think it's really fascinating because he says that how they deal with what's happening in Miami is kind of like a foretelling of how we can deal with stuff in the future. Not that it's weird hearing that when you live in the Midwest because you're like, are we going to go underwater? (laughs) But maybe. I don't know. This didn't this used to be like an ocean (laughs) right here. Uh, this, of course, for listeners who are new, uh, I live in Illinois, Kim lives in Minnesota. So we're right in the middle. But yeah, so if you're interested in, well, he calls it, you know, on the shores of climate catastrophe. But like, if you're interested in climate change and what's being done at a place where it is, the danger is is quite imminent. And uh, also hearing about just like, it's kind of also this portrait of a city, which I think is another thing that drew me to it because I, I love portraits of a city. <laughs> um, then it is Disposable City, Miami's Future on the Shores of Climate Catastrophe by Mario Alejandro Ariza. That sounds really fascinating. And I appreciate the talk about the racial implications of all of this and the way that race in cities um, affects where people can live and how they live there. Um, It reminds me, it made me think a little bit of uh, The Yellow House by Sarah Broom, because one of the things that happened in New Orleans, which is where that that book is set, is that uh, there was development to try and build uh, levees and, and that kind of thing. And they put black neighborhoods in places that were prone to flood even after those levees were built because they were cheaper and that's where they could kind of push those people. Um, And so when Hurricane Katrina happened, those neighborhoods were decimated to a higher degree than other ones as far as I remember. So yeah, I think that's an interesting and important like piece of all of this conversation. So I'm glad he talks about that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, really good pick. All right. So my first pick is a a true crime book. Uh, We haven't, (laughs) I think we haven't done a true crime book in a little bit. The title is called uh, The Golden Thread, The Cold War and the Mysterious Death of Dog Hammarskjöld by Ravi Samaya. And this is a, a historical true crime, I guess, about a major unsolved mystery of the 20th century. And so what happened is in September of 1961, Dog Hammarskjöld uh, was the Secretary General of the UN, uh, and he was in the Congo uh, doing some work there, and he boarded a plane in the, the capital. And then hours later, he was found dead in the jungle with an Ace of Spades playing card on his body. <gasps> I know, right? Yeah. So he was the head of the United Nations for almost a decade, and he, during his time, was super dedicated to bringing peace and trying to work out uh, negotiations and agreements among different groups. And so at the time, the Congo was really having a lot of problems. There was, I mean, the Congo has had problems for a really long time. Uh, The kind of the history of that country is part of what he talks about in the book is how they got to the point where he was even, uh, the UN Secretary General was even there in the first place. So at the time, the country was kind of split into uh, there was one province where a lot of wealth and resources were, and that was being ruled by uh, business people and a lot of the white uh, settlers and whatnot who were in the Congo. And then the rest of the country, which is poor and with fewer resources, was being lived in by the Native African residents. And so there was a lot of conflict between those two um, areas, and they were trying to get them kind of reunited, except there were also a bunch of outside forces that had different goals and ideas. So the CIA was involved in some ways. The KGB had an interest. Uh, There were these militant groups running around that had interest business tycoons, all sorts of people. And so Doug Hammarskjöld was in there trying to sort of negotiate through all of this. And uh, he was suspiciously murdered because of that. So this book is an investigation into his death and sort of what happened trying to help solve this mystery that's 
you know, decades old at this point. Um, it is also a really good history of the Congo and all of the different um, things that have happened in that country, starting back uh, before King Leopold of Belgium, who came in and basically took all the resources and then was a bad dude, <laughs> basically. True. So it gives that whole history um, and then gets to this kind of famous 1961 incident. So I just, I thought it was really fascinating. It gives a really good context and history of the Congo and then also is able to kind of connect all of the kind of competing players around this time in the Congo, he's able to really smartly connect them to things that are happening today. And so the book is historical, but it also feels kind of contemporary in that you can see what's going on. So one example that I don't know if it was exactly intentional or 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 what but um there was this group of white militants in the congo at the time and their um nickname was the deplorables and i just i thought that was kind of fascinating because deplorable now has such kind of a loaded implication in the united states today so just Mm -hmm. really interesting very accessible readable and just an interesting history and story so that is the golden thread the cold war and the mysterious death of dog hammerskold by robbie samaya wow um, that's, gosh, you gotta love, like, a true crime book. I mean, not the events that caused it. <laughs> yes. But hearing about them, and this has a lot of elements that mm-hmm. uh, are very dramatic, so. My next pick is The King of Confidence, a tale of utopian dreamers, frontier schemers, true believers, false prophets, and the murder of an American monarch by Miles Harvey, which, let's just pause for a sec, because <laughs> that is such a good title. It is. I, first of all, talking again about covers, the cover for this is so, like, 19th century illustration, like, awesome. Like, if you had, like, a broadside and they're trying to get your attention, that's sort of what this is. And it's, like, very colorful, and then the title and the subtitle are awesome. So I was like, I am definitely checking out this book, and I'm so glad I did, because, uh, what is it about? Well, in the summer of 1843, James Strang... Uh, who was living in the uh, western New York in like a small town called Scipio, he disappeared and then he showed up in Wisconsin, which was at the time the West as opposed to the Midwest. (laughs) And why did he leave town? Well, he was in debt and he (laughs) ran away from it. And so he ends up kind of just like he's, he's been a confidence man for all of his life, it seems. And he goes to, at the time, the Mormon church was set up in Nauvoo, Illinois. And that was like when Joseph Smith was still alive. So James Strang is like, oh, that's kind of interesting. He goes down there. He meets Joseph Smith. He goes back up to Wisconsin. Really soon after, like weeks after, Joseph Smith gets shot in the prison in Nauvoo. So James Strang, who used to be like a postmaster, um, so he knows how the, the postal system works. He's like, oh my god, oh my gosh, I got a letter in the mail from Joseph Smith saying you are the only true heir to my church. This is nuts. And like, I know. And Brigham Young was like, that didn't happen. But I know. However, he got all these followers. They were like, okay. And then he said, hey, you know how Joseph Smith found those those golden plates in New York? Oh my gosh, I found like brass plates in a hillside that an angel led me to. So I'll just translate those (laughs) for you all. Clearly, they say that I am a prophet. And um, it's just like, it's such an interesting story. So one one of the things that made me go like, oh my gosh, was he ends up sort of similar to Jim Jones, I think, with Jonestown. 
Uh, he's like, okay, well, I don't have enough control over my people. I have dissenters who are saying I'm not really a prophet for some reason. And so he was like, I need to get them to an island. So there's this stuff about like how great islands are for isolating a group of people. And he goes to Beaver Island in, uh, I think, in Michigan, which is my parents have stayed there. So I was like, oh. And he eventually has like 12,000 followers who are like, yes, we believe in you. And he reigns for essentially 12 years. He is killed. I'm not going to tell you how. You should read the book or, you know, look it up online, but probably read the book. And then, of course, like, the Mormon church is now in Utah. So this was not like a, <laughs> a long-term situation. We don't have like Strangites today. But it was just part of that. You know, the book not only gets into like his story, but it also talks about that weird thing that was happening in, happening in America in the 1840s, which like the more you read about the 1830s and 40s in America, the more you're like, oh my gosh, what were you all doing? Like it was very, it's like a weird time where a lot felt possible and everyone was kind of questioning the norms of things and trying out like that's when like um some of the utopian communities were coming up and just like a bunch of different essentially cults were like (laughs) springing out of nowhere (laughs) and it's just fascinating so like this is a good um really well written i would say he tells a story in a really like punchy way um way to look at the 1840s in america especially from like new york which had a lot going on at that time and then the midwest so again that is the king of confidence a tale of utopian dreamers frontier schemers true believers false prophets and the murder of an american monarch by miles harvey amazing subtitle amazing story Hearing you recap that one makes me really want you to have a podcast where you just like recap weird uh, American history people. So it just makes me laugh. Oh, that's my dream, Kim. Aside from this, which is my, <laughs> was my first dream. <laughs> this would be a secondary dream. <laughs> That'd be amazing. You can do it and I'll just listen and laugh. It sounds amazing. Very, very excellent pick. Um, all right, so uh, my last new book for this week is called Miracle Country by Kendra Atleywork. Uh, it came out July 14th from Algonquin Books. Um, this is a memoir that's about place and environment and the loss and all sorts of good stuff like that. So Kendra Atleywork grew up in a town called Swall Meadows, which is in the shadow of the eastern Sierra Nevada mountains, which is very, very, very high desert. So this is a town or an area that gets any, an annual rainfall of less than five inches. Uh, and in a drought year, it can be close to no rain at all. So it's, it's extreme. Um, and it is harsh and it is a, a really hard place to live. But Kendra and her siblings um, were taught by her parents to sort of thrive there despite this extreme drought, uh, wildfires, blizzards, high winds, all these, all these things. And so when Kendra was 16, her mom died of a rare autoimmune disease. And so after that, the family kind of splintered uh, and went their separate ways. So Kendra moved to Los Angeles and then eventually to Minneapolis, where she was going to graduate school, I think. And so the book opens with uh, a natural disaster. There's a fire that goes through and destroys most of Swall Meadows. But her family's home actually survives, and so um, she goes home to try and help the community, which is a really small community, work through their recovery and see kind of what she can find going back there. And then um, the book is, so the book is kind of about her and her family, but then it's also a history of this um, region and her city and community. City feels like a, the wrong word exactly because it's, it's a small town, really. So yeah, the book is a history of this place, but it's also the story of her family. Um, I just thought it was really 
beautiful. She has this very evocative way of writing about place, um, about this landscape that is so harsh and unforgiving, but she really finds beauty there. And then you kind of understand what it is about this place that she loved so much. And I, I really liked the, the history to try and explain why people actually come to this place, because it's a difficult place to imagine a successful community uh, evolving and staying because the, the climate is just so harsh. So um, I really like this one. The writing is really beautiful and, and the story is, is quite, quite interesting. So Miracle Country, a memoir by Kendra Atleywork. I talked about this in the nonfiction newsletter, True Story, and I looked up where that town is. And if you look at if you look at like photos on Google Maps or whatever, it's basically just like rocky desert. And it's it's very surprising that people could live there. And I'm constantly impressed by where humans are able to set themselves up or be like, yeah, this seems like a good spot. But it it did sound like it was very place focused. So I'm glad that she is good at writing that kind of like atmospheric writing. Oh, that wasn't good. <laughs> You know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I want to do a quick shout out for a book that is going to appeal to a very select group of listeners, which is Trixie and Katya's Guide to Modern Womanhood by drag stars Trixie Mattel and Katya Zamolodzikova. It is hilarious. It's a quick read. It's like, I think like a hundred something pages, but it's hardcover and has beautiful photos of them being like ridiculous and stunning at the same time, which... Is just oh, so um yeah. The I got the email that said that it was in at the bookstore, and I like shrieked, like I was so excited. I like immediately went to the store because I was just like, I have to have it. It's a great one. So if you are interested in drag race or drag queens, Trixie and Katya's Guide to Modern Womanhood. Awesome. Well, that is an excellent additional bonus pick, I guess. So I want to quick go to our second sponsor, which is Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insider, short story, novel, and epic, and you can try any level for free for two weeks. Uh, the highlight is our new group read hosted online, available to all Epic members. Uh, each quarter, we'll read a book voted on by Epic subscribers, and that book will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge. And then we cap off the read-along with a live chat, so insiders will get access to our new release index, which is amazing and helps you keep track of upcoming releases you're excited about. Um, it also comes with exclusive podcasts, bookish merch deals, and more. So head to insiders.bookriot.com to start your free two-week trial. All right, so uh, this week's theme is Summer Olympics, because at the time this podcast will come out, we are supposed to be or we're very close to what should have been the Tokyo Summer Olympics, but due to the pandemic, those have been postponed until 2021, uh, which I know I personally was really bummed about because I love the Olympics every uh, every couple of years. I just think it's so... I don't know. I'm one of those people that gets very into sports that I never cared about previously, and I watch as much as I can, and my sister and I love to watch, and so we were both bummed the Olympics are being postponed, so I thought it would be fun to do some Olympic books, Olympic reads for you to pick up if you are also sad about the Olympics. Are you an Olympics person, Alice? Um, I think it's complicated. I don't really (laughs) go out of my way to watch them. I really enjoy gymnastics and figure skating, and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's about it. But I'll usually, like, watch clips later on YouTube. Sure. But, I mean, you know, the Olympics are one of the only things that we as, like, I was going to say as a globe. uh, Sure. Let's just say that. uh, As a globe. One of the few things that we all do together in, like, a pleasant way. Yeah. 
overall pleasant. So I think in terms of their, I'm a big fan of togetherness. <laughs> so uh, I think in terms of their sort of like symbolic value, uh, that they're fantastic. Yeah. Do you have any favorite Olympic moments in particular? Okay, I have two. And one of them, I remembered vaguely and I looked up because I was like, I remember watching figure skating. It was pairs figure skating. And when I looked it mm-hmm. up, it said it happened in 2002, which is so long ago. But it was so striking because I was like, I don't know jack about figure skating. And it was the uh, scandal that happened at the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City when the Russian figure skaters, there was like, essentially it was a fixed outcome i think they bribed a french judge and i could be that could be wrong but that's <laughs> so not slandering anyone but there was an issue with that and because when i was watching i was like okay yeah number one don't know anything about figure skating but number two i was like the canadians were amazing and the russians felt like really not good and then they won so i was not surprised when they were like um yeah this was fixed <laughs> I was like, yeah, because the Canadians clearly did so much better. Um, My other moment was the London opening ceremonies. Oh, yeah. I watch like once a year. They make me cry. I mean, speaking of together and it like it's any time mm-hmm. that they will like smush timelines together because I'm such a history fan. So it was like having them very, very quickly in the span of the opening ceremonies go through the history of like the United Kingdom. I couldn't handle it. And then they had freaking oh like a crowd of Mary Poppinses fighting Voldemort. And I was just <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So yeah, that's why I rewatch it every year. It's so good. That's amazing. Oh yeah, what are yours? Yeah, so I have um I'm th- when we put this on the outline, I there were three that came up kind of right away as things that I remember watching and being very invested in. So um the first one was the 1996 Summer Olympics and the G- US gymnastics team and I remember watching when Carrie Strug did her first vault and then injured her ankle and then had to go out and do a second vault right away because she needed to get a better score so that we could beat the Russians and win gold and she did it and then like did the vault and landed and stuck it and then fell down because her she had ruined her ankle and I was very obsessed with that in 2008 when Michael Phelps was trying to break the record of the most gold medals at a single Olympic Games I was very obsessed with that and I watched all of the swimming that year and then I want to say yes it was the 2012 Olympics in London I got very into women's beach volleyball particularly um, Missy May Trainer and her teammate Carrie Walsh Jennings trying to win like their third gold medal in a row and they were setting some kinds of records about women's beach volleyball And I had never been into beach volleyball before, but that year I watched all of it because I get really obsessed with like those athlete stories. Uh, So yeah, that's my favorite part. Kim, this is such endearing information. (laughs) Every every Olympics, there's like one athlete that I get very obsessed with, and I kind of watch everything that they do. And those are those are three that I remember. So yeah, we're going to talk books about the Olympics. Um, And before we get into like our actual picks, I just want to do a shout out for one of my very favorite books of all time, which is The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown, uh, which is about the 1936 men's Olympic crew team, um, which is a group of college students from Washington who went on to compete at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And it is an incredible book that I've talked about probably the most times on this podcast because I love it, but it's at the Olympics, so I couldn't not mention it. No, I think that that's that's a great one to to launch into. Do you want me to yes. talk about the origins Do it. of the Olympics? Do it. Uh, I, it's very exciting. So essentially, like the reason that we have the Olympics in the first place is because 
1500 years ago uh well now at like 16 or something let's not get caught up in the details but ancient greece the book that i'm about to sort of like lay the groundwork for is the games a global history of the olympics by david goldblatt and so while he starts with uh the reinvention of the olympic games which happened in athens in 1896 because the person who founded them uh pierre de coubertin who was like Uh, He was a French educator. He was a historian. He founded the International Olympic Committee. And he was like, he is the, quote, father of the modern Olympic Games. So he was like, we're going to have them in Athens because that's where, you know, like they were happening. And then they were banned by the Roman emperor Theodosius I. So the first recorded Olympic Games were held in Olympia um, in 776 BC, which, oh my gosh. But it's apparently known that the Olympics at that point, so 776 BC, had already been around for at least 500 years, which like blows my mind. Yeah. Because this was like, they held them every four years. It happened during a religious festival honoring Zeus. And people would come from like a dozen or more Greek cities and just like compete in these games. And they would do like wrestling and boxing and chariot racing and uh, the pentathlon. Mm -hmm. So like, it's cool, right? That they're like, I mean, I that's the thing. I don't get that into the Olympics, but I love this idea that they were like, this was a thing and we brought all these people together and they competed. So um, so what David Goldblatt does, he doesn't focus that much on like the athletes. He focuses more on like the actual history of the games. So it's more like how cities will like win the Olympic bid, which, oh my gosh, I remember when Chicago was in like, I think it was like the top 10. Mm-hmm. And then they announced that we weren't in like the ne- we didn't make the next cut. And we were all like, we don't want the Olympics. <laughs> but how dare you? Like, it, it was very like, we at least should have made it to the next like round. I just think it's so funny. But yeah, so he talks about, um, he goes up to uh, the Olympics in Rio in 2016. He talks about how they grew into what they are now. Because in the 1896 one, they didn't like go that well. You know, people were kind of like, okay, like not that many countries were participating. And like now it's just sort of, in a way, it's like Eurovision. Did you watch that <laughs> movie? No, but I really want to. It, it's very cute. But I mean, obviously, my my fiance did not know that Eurovision was an actual TV show. She thought that they had invented this whole thing for <laughs> no. uh, the movie. I know. It's charming. That's what I'm choosing. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to the Olympics. So he talks about the origins of Olympic traditions. So like, why do we have winner's medals? Why is there a torch relay? You know, and this idea of like the eternal flame and these events that weren't in the original Olympics. So like alpine skiing. Like, right, the Greeks weren't really doing that. Obviously, the marathon has to do with the marathon that happened in ancient Greece. So that's easier to track. But yeah, like gymnastics, all these things. He also does talk a little bit about the athletes. He talks about Nadia Comaneci. He talks about Jesse Owens, um, Usain Bolt. It's a long book. It's like over 500 pages. So if you're like, gosh, I am so sad the Olympics aren't happening this year and I just really want to get into their history, check out The Games, A Global History of the Olympics by David Goldblatt. I uh, went and put that one on hold at the library while you were talking about it because it sounds awesome. Good pick. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So I decided for this one because what I, the thing I love about the Olympics is athlete stories. I decided to go with athlete memoir, so memoirs by athletes who have participated in the Olympics. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is Forward by Abby Wambach, uh, which I've been listening to on audiobook. 
So Abby Wambach is a record-holding soccer player. Um, she has been great at soccer her whole life. When she was seven years old, she got put under the boys' soccer team in her community because she was just so good. Um, she became the highest goal scorer, male or female, in the history of soccer when she turned 35. She uh, was part of the 2015 World Cup championship team. And she was also on, I think, two Olympic teams. Um, and so this is her memoir about being a soccer player. Um, and I, I, I have loved this book. It is so interesting because she is super honest and she talks a lot about her ambivalence and challenge being a professional soccer player and how soccer has always kind of brought out some of her worst qualities. And it's something that she's really good at, but also she struggles with being good at. And so she talks a lot about her um, addiction. She uh, is abusing alcohol and pills for a lot of her career. And so she she talks about that and just so interesting. Uh, listening to an audiobook is kind of an intense experience because she is very honest and she spends a lot of time in her own head and explaining all of the like thought processes that she has. And she is so intense and critical of herself that you sort of listen to it and be like, oh my God, how do you live with a voice talking to yourself this way? Um, like, I just think that oh. that, you know, like it's just, it's intense to listen to that. But I also, it's so interesting. And she is part of all these huge moments. And she talks a lot about, um, not a ton, but a, a bit about like soccer technique and some of the behind the scenes of the U.S. Women National Team's um, efforts to get equal pay and all sorts of stuff and so there are also some kind of graphic descriptions of injuries so if that's not your thing like be warned about it but despite kind of the intensity of this one I have really liked it and it's been really a kind of a fun audiobook to have on in the background so uh, that is Forward by Abby Wambach oh and it came out before she got married to Glennon yes. Doyle mm -hmm. yep oh that's a bummer I want to <laughs> hear what she has to say about that they're they're very fun I do I really hope that they write a book together or something. Abby Wambach also has a, a really short book out called Wolfpack, which is a book uh, that is um, a commencement address that she gave um, that I'm going to listen to after I finish Forward, um, which I don't know if that talks about her marriage to Glennon Doyle, but yeah. Awesome. Okay, so my other Olympic pick uh, focusing on Olympic history is Olympic Pride, American Prejudice, the untold story of 18 African Americans who defied Jim Crow and Adolf Hitler to compete in the 1936 Berlin Olympics by Blair Underwood, Deborah Riley Draper, and Travis Thrasher. Um, this is also a documentary, but you can check out the book, which uh, is going to have probably some more deets because that's why we read books, right? Isn't that why people... <laughs> People read books. Uh, everyone on this nonfiction podcast does. So uh, essentially, everyone at the 1936 Berlin Olympics, if you're talking about those games, which were huge because it was, you know, the rise of Nazi Germany was happening. The invasion of Poland was three years away. And everyone talks about Jesse Owens. But there were 17 other African-American athletes at that Olympic Games. So what this book is about, what the documentary is about, is highlighting their stories. And it kind of pairs, it's it's 16 black men, two black women, who are kind of like, should we boycott the Olympic Games because they're in Nazi Germany or should we go? So it talks through their stories. Um, there's Tidy Pickett from Chicago, who she was like from the time, it's so cute. They tell stories about her being like a little kid and like, 
like the, these boys were making fun of her about like how she wasn't fast enough and she would race them and lose, but she would still like keep trying until, you know, she obviously gets so fast she goes to the Olympics. And then uh, Louise Stokes from Malden, Massachusetts, and Mac Robinson from Pasadena, California. And gosh, just like all these people who don't we don't talk about. But real quick, speaking of Jesse Owens, because I feel like his story might not be told as much now in 2020 as like, I feel like I heard more about him in the 90s. But he won four gold medals at the 1936 Olympic Games. And despite that, was not invited to the White House, by the way. And that's the other part of the book is that's why it's, you know, the subtitle is uh, Who Defied Jim Crow, because it's also them dealing with Jim Crow. But then, you know, so like dealing with this horrible thing that America is doing, but then still being like, yes, I will go to the Olympics and represent that country and then just being treated terribly when they come back, despite, you know, doing really well or just like even just getting to the Olympics is so amazing mm-hmm. that we should laud all those people uh, as long as they're not, you know, bad. Um, but anyway, so if you're interested in like hearing again, just like the full story or at least more of the story than normally makes it, I know people's bandwidth is usually like, who's the one person I need to know, <laughs> like related to this whole thing. But all these people are fascinating. So again, that is Olympic Pride, American Prejudice by uh, Blair Underwood, Deborah Riley Draper and Travis Thresher. That sounds awesome. That is an excellent pick. Yeah, really good. So my last pick is another, like I said, uh, memoir by an athlete. And this is Courage to Soar, A Body in Motion, A Life in Balance by Simone Biles uh, with uh, Michelle Burford. So um, Simone Biles is probably the greatest uh, gymnast of all time. But she didn't start in gymnastics as a as a tiny child, as many gymnasts do. She actually got started when her daycare went on a field trip to a kind of tumbling arena, and she was just running around there. And the coaches and stuff there saw her, and they're like, wow, this kid should be in our gymnastics program. And then pretty soon they realized, like, she was going to be pretty amazing at it. So uh, this is her memoir just about her life. Um, she grew up uh, and was adopted by her grandparents, and so she lived in Texas with them for most of her life. She, you know, got into gymnastics when she was about six years old and has just kind of dominated the sport for much of her time since then. Um, The book opens in, I think, 2011 when she doesn't make uh, a U.S. national team and sort of talks about that disappointment and then jumps back to her childhood and then goes forward to her uh, time as a decorated Olympian. It's not marketed as a YA book, but it reads kind of YA to me. It just feels a little bit, there's just not a lot of um, dark kind of stuff in it, as, at least the part that I've gotten to. And it feels a lot like she's writing sort of two young women to kind of talk about like the things that she has learned and her faith and her time as an Olympic athlete and what that taught her. Um, and so I really, I appreciated that kind of emphasis because I do think she really is writing to young women in particular. And I just... Someone else, she just is like one of the most charming athletes that I've ever seen on like social media and in the media and all of that stuff. Like she just seems genuinely kind and nice. And that comes through in the book. Like she is a sweet person. Um, and so it's just, it's just been a nice read, right? Like kind of this person's story and what they have learned as an athlete and some of the things that she is looking forward to. And it's, it's very kind. So. I really like this one. It's not quite as, it's definitely not as intense as Abby Wambach's uh, memoir. So it's been a nice kind of flip between the two. So this is Courage to Soar, A Body in Motion, A Life in Balance by Simone Biles. Oh, now I want to like rewatch some of her routines. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They're like so amazing. 
I know. My favorite thing, actually, that she's done recently, do you remember on social media when there was that um, handstand challenge and people were trying to, like, either put on pants without, like, while they were doing a handstand or something like that? Um, no, but carry on. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm explaining this super badly, but it was a social media challenge, so all these athletes were, like, stand, doing handstands and then uh, putting pants on while, like, upside down, and she did one that was just so much more impressive than anyone else's because she's just, like, the just an athlete, and so it was... I'm doing a terrible job explaining it, but it was very funny, and maybe I'll try to find it and link it in the show notes because it was so great. So anyway, she's very cool, and this is a fun memoir. I enjoy just how speechless your love for Simone Biles makes you. <laughs> no. It's very nice. It's ridiculous. All right, and so with that, we're going to wrap up the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books we are reading at this very moment. Um, I'm actually reading fiction right now. Uh, and the book is called The House on the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune, and it is about a um, man who works in the department in charge of magical youth, and he goes around trying to determine if magical youth are working okay. So he gets sent out to this orphanage where six dangerous magical children are, and he's supposed to assess their, uh, whether they are likely to bring about the end of the world. Uh, and so far it is very sweet. I bought that, like, at the beginning of quarantine. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it yet, but it just – it was getting really good reviews. Mm -hmm. So I just went <laughs> I just went ahead. I love a middle-grade book. I am reading a fiction book as well. I'm reading A Gathering of Shadows by V.E. Schwab. It's the second book in whatever series that is um, that is about, like, the three different colored Londons. So, like, red mm – -hmm. wait, red – Shades of Magic. Shades of Magic. Thank you. Well, I was thinking, like, red London – gray gray and white yeah and then black london is sealed off mm -hmm. um the second one i'm actually liking a lot more than the first one like i didn't dislike the first one but um the second one is from more of like a, a woman perspective and mm -hmm. it's uh i think the plot is a lot more sort of like fast paced in mm -hmm. a way so yeah no, i'm really liking it so yeah that's the current i'm reading some nonfiction, but like you guys don't want to hear more about that um <laughs> and with that you can find us on social media i am at it's alice time and kim is at kim the dork and speaking of well not even speaking of but you can thank the excellent audio quality in this episode to the amazing jen zink thank you jen she is amazing and if you have a minute we would love it if you would rate and review the podcast on apple podcast uh, that helps people find us more easily and while you're there you can subscribe so that you get new episodes the very minute that they come out and so with that i am kim Ukra. and i'm alice burton and we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the for real podcast